My name is Jennifer Sloan. I'm the president of the Canadian Club of Toronto and your host this afternoon. We are incredibly proud of our 118-year history as the leading public affairs podium in the country. And we are proud of our commitment to providing a diverse set of guest speakers who address issues in a way that our ever-quickening pace of life rarely allows. Led by a volunteer board of directors, we are dedicated to encouraging open and accessible debate on issues that matter to Toronto, to Ontario, and to Canada. Through our youth and young leaders programs, civic action diversity partnerships, accessibility commitments, as well as through our media partnerships and social media properties, we provide opportunities for Canadians around the world to engage with leading political, business, and public figures. Again, thank you for joining our conversation. Now to kick us off, I'm going to ask the Minister to draw two business cards. The first lucky winner will receive Sony Quick Fold Stereo Headphones, and the second winner will receive a bottle of premium Ontario Amarone-style wine from the Foreign Affair Winery, which is pioneered and owned by Canadian Club member Len Crispino. Lynn Chow, our Executive Director of the club, is going to announce our winners. Lynn. Okay, our first winner is Donna Matten from Insurance Institute. Congratulations, Donna. And our second winner is Brian Clunder from CPP Investment Board. <laughs> Congratulations. Brian, I know you and I know where you're sitting. <laughs> Congratulations to both our winners. Now please allow me to introduce your head table. Head table guests, please stand as I recognize you and remain standing till everyone's been introduced. And ladies and gentlemen, please hold your applause till everyone's been welcomed. Andrew Harrison, Regional Managing Partner, Bordner-Ladner-Gervais, LLP. John Capabianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Public Affairs Lead, Americas, Fleshman-Hilliard, and a past president of the Canadian Club of Toronto. Michael Bosampra, Innovation Manager, Procter & Gamble, and a 2013-14 Civic Action Diversity Fellow. Terry Campbell, President, Canadian Bankers Association. And our speaker today, Canada's Finance Minister, the Honourable Joe Oliver. Ladies and gentlemen, your head table. I'd like to express special thanks to our event sponsor, BLG, represented by Andrew Harrison. Andrew, thank you so much for your support. And before I introduce our speaker, I want to let our live audience know that you can join the conversation via Twitter and Instagram at CDNCLUBTO or by using that hashtag. Ladies and gentlemen, on your behalf, I'm pleased to introduce today's speaker. The country's finances significantly impact decisions made by individual and businesses alike. We act cautiously when interest rates rise. We change our spending or investment habits when our dollar dips. 
and we breathe a sigh of relief when when unemployment rates fall. Canada's chief budget officer, also known as the Honourable Joe Oliver, Minister of Finance, has hit the ground running since he took on the role in March of last year. No wonder he traded in dress shoes for runners when he presented the federal budget a few short weeks ago. We appreciate his willingness to use the Canadian Club of Toronto's podium to explain his government's fiscal priorities and its plans for growth and prosperity. Today's visit is Minister Oliver's third to our podium in the past 13 months further reinforcing the high degree of interest in Canada's economic action plan. Montreal-born, the finance minister entered federal politics four years ago. He represents the riding of Eglinton-Lawrence, and prior to heading to Ottawa, Minister Oliver held senior roles in the investment banking sector, including Merle Lynch, He was the executive director of the Ontario Securities Commission, director of the, sorry, director of the Ontario Security Commission. Later, he served as president and chief executive officer of the Investment Dealers Association of Canada. A McGill and Harvard graduate, Mr. Oliver has also completed the director's education program at the Rotman School of Management. The International Council of Securities Associations and the International Association of Securities Commissions are but a few of the organizations that have benefited from his expertise. Minister Oliver, the Canadian Club of Toronto's podium, Canada's podium of record, is now yours again. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and thank you, Jennifer, for that uh, gracious introduction, and thank you all uh, for joining us uh, today. It's a pleasure to be back home after presenting a budget in Ottawa and talking to Canadians about it uh, right across the country and, of course, in Eglinton-Lawrence, the wonderful riding I'm honoured to represent in Parliament, a riding in the heart of this great city. Great city is an understatement. Hogtown lives on in the philosophy, go big or go home. We have more than 1,600 parks, more than 8,000 restaurants, and more than 6 million disappointed hockey fans. (laughs) I'm also honored to serve as our government's regional minister for the GTA. And in that role, I often find myself reporting back to Torontonians, including your members and guests. This is Canada's preeminent public affairs podium, which is why a little over a year ago, I came here to deliver my first speech as Minister of Finance. And I think it would be worthwhile to recall what I said then. Ma grande priorité est de favoriser la création d'emplois et de stimuler la croissance partout au Canada. Then is now, my top priority is creating jobs and growth right across the country. Furthermore, I promised Canadians we would balance the budget in 2015, and I told them 
how we would do it. First, we would not engage in reckless new spending schemes that would lead to increased taxes or higher debt or both. Second, once the budget was balanced, our goal would be to provide tax relief for hardworking Canadians and job-creating businesses. And we would do that while ensuring Canadians that they would continue to receive the services they need. On every count, we have delivered. We created over 1.2 million net new jobs since the depths of the recession, one of the strongest job-creating records in the G7. The overwhelming majority are full-time, private sector, and in high-wage industries. Today, the overall federal tax burden is at its lowest level in more than half a century. Bloomberg has ranked Canada the second most attractive place in the world to do business, and Canada's total government net debt to GDP ratio is less than half the GDP, the, G, the G7 average. That's half. But, in fact, there's more to do. We're moving relentlessly forward to make the greatest country in the world even greater. Last month, I introduced Economic Action Plan 2015, a low-tax plan to create jobs, growth, and long-term prosperity. Il s'agit d'un budget équilibré, autant sur le plan budgétaire que social. Nous prévoyons enregistrer un excédent de 1,4 milliard de dollars cette année, et cet excédent devrait augmenter durant les prochaines années. Promesse faite, promesse tenue. It's a balanced budget, balanced fiscally and balanced socially. This year, we're forecasting a $1.4 billion surplus and growing surpluses thereafter. Promise made, promise kept. It maintains programs, but avoids reckless spending and unsustainable long-term structural commitments. Its investments are affordable, pragmatic, and targeted. Promise made, promise kept. And it cuts taxes for families, for seniors, for small businesses, for manufacturers. Promise made, promise kept. I'm here today to tell you more about this budget and some of the wonderful news it contains for the people of Toronto. But first, let me briefly outline why a balanced budget matters. Indeed, why it is essential to our future prosperity. It clears the way for more tax relief. It bolsters our AAA credit rating, keeps interest payments down, and inspires greater consumer and investor confidence. It protects our unprecedented investments in health care and in education. It strengthens our ability to respond to the unavoidable and unexpected in an unstable world. And it complies with the moral imperative of not saddling our children and our grandchildren with our debt. This is the responsible way forward for Canada, one we intend to enshrine in balanced budget legislation. The only acceptable deficit would be one due to a recession or extraordinary circumstance, like a war or a natural disaster. Within 30 days of a published deficit, the finance minister would be required to appear before the House Committee on Finance 
and present a plan with concrete timelines to return to balanced budgets. That plan would include a freeze on operating spending and a wage freeze for ministers and deputy ministers. If a finance minister posts a deficit outside these extraordinary circumstances, an automatic operating freeze would go into effect and salaries of ministers and deputy ministers would be reduced by 5%. We're not outlawing deficits. We are discouraging them. We're making sure that a government that acts irresponsibly is held to account financially and politically. Friends, with this balanced budget, we are empowered. Empowered to cut taxes, empowered to make targeted investments that will create jobs and make life better for Canadians. So let me tell you how this budget does exactly that. And I'll touch on three areas. First, helping families and communities prosper. Second, protecting Canadians at home and abroad. And third, creating jobs and growth by supporting businesses, creating innovation, and investing in infrastructure. So let's begin with families, the bedrock of our country. Helping families starts with a philosophy. Canadians deserve to keep more of their hard-earned dollars. So we've done everything in our power to put more money back in their pockets and let them keep it there. We've reduced taxes more than 180 times since 2006, down to where they were 50 years ago. And there is more to come. For families, we have rolled out an expanded universal childcare benefit, introduced the family tax cut, introduced and increased the child care expense deduction limits and doubled the children's fitness tax credit. Because of what we have done, the typical two-earner family of four is better off by $6,600 this year. Now, I understand there are some people who like paying taxes so much they think they should not pay less. Well, I have good news and bad news for them. The good news is they can make a donation to the Government of Canada by writing a check to the Receiver General. The bad news is it's tax deductible. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> Back on planet Earth, you should know that in addition to saving Canadians money, we are making it easier for them to save. We've almost doubled the annual contribution limit of tax-free savings accounts from $5,500 to $10,000. The TFSA is highly popular. 11 million Canadians use TFSAs to save for what matters to them, buying a first home, financing their kids' education, and preparing for retirement. You may have heard from the opposition parties that TFSAs are mainly benefiting the rich. This is simply not true. The large majority of TFSAs benefit low- and middle-income Canadians and seniors. Three-quarters of contributors earn less than $75,000 a year. Sixty percent of those who maxed out on their contributions last year earned less than $60,000 annually. Now, you may have also heard that by 2080, or 65 years from now, 
a lot of money will be lost to government, which is somehow a bad thing. Well, that is also untrue. Money government fails to wrestle from taxpayers is not lost to the economy. To the contrary, money that stays in the private sector can be used by Canadians to save, invest, and spend. That is good for the economy and socially desirable. Furthermore, it is estimated that every dollar raised by the government is not just a dollar lost to the economy, but closer to a dollar and a quarter to a dollar fifty due to inefficiencies. So I was frankly amazed that both opposition parties promised to roll back the powerful opportunity for Canadians to save. That promise constitutes a direct assault on the middle class and seniors. TFSAs are highly popular among seniors, and the budget goes further in helping them enjoy their golden years. It reduces the minimum withdrawal requirements for registered retirement income funds, or RIFs. This is important because it means seniors can preserve more of their retirement savings for future needs. We're also helping seniors and persons with disabilities live longer in their own homes. Budget 2015 launched a new home accessibility tax credit, up to $1,500 in tax savings per year to help make homes safer and more accessible. The budget also helps those taking care of a sick and dying loved one. Under the current system, Canadians can access compassionate care employment insurance benefits for six weeks. Very soon, we will be able, they will be able to access benefits for 26 weeks. We believe in helping those who need help the most when they need it the most. The budget also includes another investment in helping seniors live longer, happier, and healthier lives. As Canada's population ages, age-related cognitive impairment is becoming more prevalent. The burden on families is hard, and it's growing. And that's why we're investing $42 million over five years with Toronto's Baycrest Health Science to support the establishment of the Canadian Centre for Aging and Brain Health Innovation. This funding will go to research and development of new products and services to help with brain health and aging. It will be cutting-edge, world-class, and it's happening right here in this great city. We're also taking new action to support charities. They are in the front lines of pressing social changes, lifting up those who need our help the most. There's no strong Canada without strong charities. And I'm proud to say our record of support for charities is strong. Because of our Conservative government, donations of publicly listed securities and ecological gifts, gifts have been exempted from capital gains tax. The first-time donors' super credit is available on cash donations of up to $10,000 made before 2018. And charities are benefiting from credit card fee reductions. Economic Action Plan 2015 goes further. It exempts individual and corporate donors from tax on the sale of private shares or real estate to an arm's length party, provided the proceeds are donated within 30 days. 
We expect this will encourage generous and public-spirited Canadians to make transformative gifts to research, healthcare, social services, and arts and culture, and to do that right across the country. In this connection, I want to congratulate Don Johnson and thank him for being a tireless and eloquent advocate for this important initiative. The budget also expands charities' abilities to make long-term investments by allowing them to invest in limited partnerships. This means diversified investment portfolios and stronger charities. Many limited partnerships are also used to structure social impact investments. This reform means charities will have a new avenue for innovative approaches that solve pressing social and economic problems. Stronger charities, support for seniors, tax cuts for families, these are the building blocks for prosperity. But we cannot enjoy that prosperity if we are not safe. In peacetime, it is sometimes forgotten that there is no government obligation greater than protecting its people and the sovereignty of its country. There was a time when it was tempting to believe that terrorism was a foreign concept. Always abroad, never here. That belief has been proven fatally wrong. Recently, I was in a town called St. Clair, south of Quebec City. It's a three-hour drive from Saint-Jean-sur-Richelieu. Là-bas, Patrice Vincent, a militaire et un patriote, était brutalement assassiné de sang-froid par un terroriste jihadiste. There, Patrice Vincent, a soldier and a patriot, was brutally killed in cold blood by a jihadi terrorist. Later, another terrorist murdered Corporal Nathan Cirillo while he guarded our National War Memorial. The assailant then invaded Parliament, the home of our democracy. Patrice Vincent and Nathan Cirillo were killed by a savage ideology that hates the other and has targeted Canada, indeed anyone that does not subscribe to its intolerant strictures. We must stand strong against this threat. And so our latest budget takes action to ensure that Canadians are kept safe from barbarism. That includes almost $12 billion for national defence over the next decade. It includes more than $360 million to continue our fight against the so-called Islamic State. And it includes $292 million over five years to enhance the counter-terrorism resources of our intelligence and law enforcement agencies. These are strong investments that make our resolve clear. Under the leadership of Prime Minister Harper, we will protect Canadians at home and abroad. Next, let me return to our economy and highlight two important aspects of our job creation strategy. First, cutting taxes and red tape for businesses. Tax savings for small businesses have been key to Canada's success. After all, small businesses are Canada's great job creators. Half of the working men and women in Canada's private sector are employed by small businesses. We believe entrepreneurs should spend their time growing their businesses and creating jobs, not choking on red tape 
and high taxes. Our record in this regard is very strong. We cut the small business tax rate to 11% and increased the amount of annual income eligible for this lower rate from 300000 to 500000 We increased the lifetime capital gains exemption, a measure delivering over $1 billion of federal tax relief annually to small business owners and owners of farm and fishing businesses. We cut EI premiums by introducing the Small Business Job Credit. This credit alone is saving small businesses more than half a billion dollars over two years. Economic Action Plan 2015 goes even further. The Canadian Federation of Independent Business called it a terrific budget for small business. No wonder it is cutting the small business tax rate to 9% by 2019. This is historic, the biggest tax cut for small business in 25 years. It also marks a milestone. Small businesses are now paying up to 46% less in taxes than before this government took office. That's right, so the tax burden has been sliced almost in half. Beyond tax cuts, we know targeted investments in infrastructure creates jobs. During the depths of the Great Recession, we helped build over 30,000 infrastructure projects, projects that created jobs when Canadians needed the most. But more than jobs, infrastructure is about keeping Canadians moving. As Torontonians, we know that only too well. Toronto is a world-class city. Living here, you don't want to leave. And because of traffic, sometimes you feel you can't. <laughs> Toronto is a driving force in the Canadian economy. Yet driving here has become increasingly difficult. The hard truth is that if we cannot get people moving in and out of the GTA efficiently, our engine will eventually sputter. Our latest budget is tackling this challenge head on. It launches a major new infrastructure program, the Public Transit Fund. This program, increasing to $1 billion per year by 2019, will be a permanent source of funding to provinces and municipalities for major public transit projects. And because it will be financed through P3 Canada, it will provide private sector discipline so projects can be delivered on budget and on time. The funding will be there for large projects in our major urban and suburban centres. Very soon, we will talk to Mayor John Tory and other mayors and regional municipal associations about their priorities. The fund builds on our government's unprecedented infrastructure investments. Together, the largest long-term federal commitment in our country's history, $75 billion over 10 years. Canada has led the G7 in public investment growth over the last decade. Infrastructure investments like these will keep Canadians moving full speed into the future. As a Torontonian, I'm also delighted to note an additional $25 million to renew Harbourfront Centre. Harbourfront Centre, as you know, is a national showcase for music, dance, theatre, and much more. Its innovative programs will attract visitors from near and far, 
and will encourage Torontonians to enjoy the waterfront for years to come. Friends, let me conclude as I began. Not as I began the speech, but as I ended my first public speech as finance ministers at this podium over one year ago. I told you we would balance the budget. We did. I told you that our priority was to grow the economy and create jobs. And that remains our priority and the, pri and the priority of Prime Minister Stephen Harper. Under his strong leadership, that will continue to be our priority and we will continue to succeed. Succeed in creating jobs, growth, and long-term prosperity, making the greatest country in the world even greater. Thank you very much. Mr. Oliver, on behalf of the Canadian Club of Toronto, I'd like to thank you for providing details of your government's ambitious plans to continue investing in the growth and development of our economy. We hope that the measures that you've outlined will go a long way to stimulating investment, innovation, and jobs. As you outlined, balancing Canada's budget takes hard work. Hard choices and decisions need to be made and you are making those tough decisions and choices. We appreciate that you take the time to travel across the country to explain your fiscal policies and how they will contribute to our economic vitality in a global financial environment that continues to be fragile. Minister Oliver, our podium is always available to you. We wish you continued success as you work on behalf on our behalf in the important and challenging role of Canada's finance minister. Thank you again for being with us. I'd also like to once again thank our uh, today's event sponsor, BLG. Thank you very much for your support. And now, before I adjourn for lunch, I'd like to tell you about some of our upcoming events. On Thursday of this week, May 7th, the Honourable Reza Meridi, Ontario's Minister of Training, Colleges and Universities, will be with us to outline ways to drive quality in our post-secondary and skills training landscape. And on May 11th, we will be joined by the leader of the Liberal Party of Canada, Justin Trudeau, who will discuss fairness and growth for the middle class. For a full listing of the club's upcoming events and to order tickets, please visit us at our website, canadianclub.org. And I'd finally like to draw your attention to the event survey card on each of your tables. The Canadian Club is always looking for ways to improve your experience, so please take a minute to help us by sharing your thoughts and comments, including whether you've liked this season's new shortened luncheon format. Your feedback is very much appreciated. This concludes our television programming, which will be broadcast on Rogers TV in the days to come. We're grateful to Rogers TV and 680 News for their continuing promotion of Canadian Club events. I'd also like to invite you to visit the Canadian Club website to download a webcast and podcast of today's speech. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Please rise as you are able and join me in a toast to Canada. To Canada.
Thank you for being an attentive and engaging audience this afternoon. Enjoy your lunch.